The scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Did you mean to say this morning? I did. Okay. I was really worried about today if that was... (laughs) It's not funny, is it? It's not funny. (laughs) A little bit funny. Good evening, church. Everybody okay tonight? Parents of graduates, are you awake? It's been quite a weekend, and we've got a few more coming up. We are um, excited to celebrate with those that are experiencing a great joy this weekend and coming up for the rest of this week. I know Reynoldsburg is uh, on Tuesday, so we think uh, of our Reynoldsburg kids and the rest of them that are, I believe Sydney graduated today, is that right? And celebrate with all of them. So we're in night four of our question and answer session, and The question that I'm going to deal with tonight was asked in this way. It said, um, uh, what about um, the Christian Sunday? Is it like a Sabbath? Should Christians refrain from work and recreational, um, avocational activities on Sunday? Is it similar to what they termed a Christian Sabbath? So what should we do with our Sundays? And, And is it to be a Sabbath unto the Lord? transitioning from like the uh, Jewish tradition held on Saturdays now to Sundays. And so it's a really great question. I'm so excited uh, that that somebody decided to ask that. The thing that I have to practice tonight is restraining myself from chasing all of the different angles that we could look into it because there's a lot of depth to the idea of Sabbath as you trace it out through the Bible. Sabbath actually shows up all the way back in creation when God Sabbathed, he rested, he stopped from his work after he had finished creating the world. Uh, And it has its place all throughout the Bible, coming up all the way into the New Testament, into Hebrews, where we see a beautiful portrait in Hebrews chapter 4 of the Sabbath rest in Christ. So, um, the idea of Sabbath, and then the idea of the Lord's Day or Sunday, actually um, share a history together most likely because they have a connection in, in, in the Bible to being held to a particular day. You know, it's, it's something tied to a day in which somebody would observe something. Um, and so they come together very closely. And what I want to do tonight before we get into should a Christian or ought a Christian participate in work and recreational activities on Sunday or not on Sunday? Should we set aside our Sundays to be a holy day or not? I want to give a little bit of historical context that probably um, produced this question. Now, I don't know exactly who wrote the question and what they were actually thinking, but I've heard the question before several times. In fact, 
I've history on how we really frame that question, how it came to be that, that is Sunday, the Lord's Day, really a Sabbath day? Is it like an updated Sabbath? And so if you go all the way back to the patristic church or the church fathers in the very beginning, um, post the apostles and when the church was really um, creating its formation there, they focused mainly on just a few things when it came to the idea of the Sabbath. And they were dealing with a, a unique context, but the first thing they deal with, they dealt with mostly was the spiritual idea of Sabbath. And what I mean by that is under the Jewish law, you had on Saturday or the seventh day, everybody was to Sabbath, even the laborers, and it was for physical health. In fact, there was Sabbath for the land every seventh year to give the land rest. It was for um, uh, emotional health, spiritual health, relational health. And that day was to be fully set aside dedicated to the Lord. So when Christianity comes about, and all of a sudden we've got, it starts in Jerusalem, Judea, and then extend, extends to the end of the earth, you're converting at the very beginning a bunch of people who are Jewish. And what the New Testament writers were dealing with, and then the early church fathers were dealing with, was distinguishing, separating, and then showing that Christianity is the fulfillment of the Jewish law, not just standing in opposition to the Jewish law. And so when they spoke of Sabbath, what they were talking about was the deep rest that you and I can enter into spiritually, that we no longer have to work to be saved, to keep a law, because Jesus Christ went into his great Sabbath on the day that he was crucified and then buried in the tomb on that Saturday, and then he rose to life on Sunday, the first day of the week, just like God in the very beginning, on the very first day of the week, spoke light into darkness, brought life into the world. That's how the, the early church fathers taught the Sabbath. They were showing that there's a spiritual fulfillment to the Sabbath, that it's a rest of the soul. That's what Hebrews 4 talks about. And so they were trying to give a spiritual idea to, that, to, the, to the concept of Sabbath, to all of these people that understood mentally, seventh day of the week, I just don't work. And I can't walk too far. And I can't do certain things. And so what they were trying to do was teach something spiritual. The other thing that they focused mainly on was transitioning Jewish religious people to Christianity. That there was something better for them. And so they, they spoke oftentimes that keeping Sabbath and circumcision would not save you. You can read this, um, the letter of Galatians. And then I would tell you to specifically focus on the book of Colossians chapter 2 specifically, where he's talking in there about the idea that, listen, keeping the Old Testament law, which was um, being circumcised so that you could be a child of God, keeping the Sabbath, which honored the covenant that God made with them at the Mount, um, uh, the Ten Commandments, that in keeping those two things, the Sabbath and being circumcised, a person would be a child of God, the early church fathers and then the New Testament writers were constantly trying to teach, listen, just keeping the Sabbath, not working on Saturday, and being circumcised is not how you're saved. And they fought that over and over. And Colossians 2 verse 17 tells us that it's not by keeping of the Sabbath that we are saved. And so that, that's really what was going on very, very early as they were trying to set in contrast the Jewish religion and Christianity. The church early, though, was very, very dedicated to the gathering together on the first day of the week. And they honored that. 
They believed in that. In fact, they set serious amounts of time aside to do that. But then something happened on um, March 7th of 321 AD. The Roman Emperor Constantine declared in, in all of the, basically the world, the Roman Empire, that on Sunday was to be a day that all people were to rest from labor. That was the first time. And that's when Christianity became legalized in the Roman Empire. Before then, it wasn't. And Constantine decided, you know what? Let's set aside Sunday that all labor was to stop. Nobody is to work. Unless you're a farmer and it's necessary or you're performing acts of mercy like um, in the medical field or things of that nature, everything else needs to stop. And so that was the first instance we saw declared by law, Sundays need to be dedicated, set apart like a, a holiday, so to, speak, so to speak. But then as church government grew, as, as the church sort of looked to the Roman imperialism and they began to form what we see as the Catholic Church today, um, people just basically set aside, and it wasn't necessarily a law, but Sunday became a day that was dedicated to the Lord, the whole day. And that became pretty natural because of the Roman influence throughout the whole world. And so that's what, how it transpired in the very early part of church history. But then in the Middle Ages, there was a great scholar named Thomas Aquinas who came back and said, listen, the Ten Commandments from God are moral commandments, all ten of them. And so therefore, they are still active, um, binding, and they, are still, they still imply upon the lives of believers today. And so he began to teach that all ten of the commandments are moral commandments. And for most of the time, we understand that there's nine of them to be moral in the Ten Commandments, right? And the one is ceremonial, which is the Sabbath, which is just a ceremony that people kept. He came and said, listen, it's ten. And out of that, from the Middle Ages came the Reformation. And so you had Luther and John Calvin and those people who were really stirring up and reforming the Catholic Church and saying, listen, the way that we're doing things isn't right. Heavily influenced by people like Thomas Aquinas, who said these Ten Commandments are moral commandments that need to be held up. They started to teach that the Sabbath was something that we needed to continue. Um, Luther held to this view, although he did not believe that you could bind by law Sunday to be a complete rest. And so some of the catechisms that he wrote um, didn't include that. But Calvin did. And so John Calvin, who basically is one of the major influences in the Reformation movement, held to this Aquinas view, and he taught that the Lord's Day was to be used as a Sabbath, but he was not divisive over it. And then we get the major part of the history that you need to know and learn about. In the 16th and 17th century, there was a group of people that, uh, there, there was a lot of things going on. Queen Elizabeth was in place and she wanted to be a Catholic. She wanted to make England Catholic, but she was kicked out of the Catholic Church because she was not seen as Christian. So England had to be a Protestant church. That's where you get the Anglican Church. And there was a group of English people who were committed to John Calvin's reformations but became very passionate about it. And so you had Queen Elizabeth who was kind of floating around wanting Anglican Church to be Catholic, but not allowed to be Catholic, and they were angry. And this group of people became so, just in, with so much passion, wanted to purify the church in England. Do you know what name they were called? The Puritans. That's where we got the Puritans. Passionate, passionate people. And they brought rigor to the Lord's Day in light of all the laxity in the culture. The culture had gotten really lax on Sunday. 
much like our culture has become, very, very lax on Sunday. You know, you can come to church on Sunday, get out as early as possible and run, and you can do your errands, and then just Sundays become casual in our culture. And that was very true in England in the 16th and 17th century, and the Puritans were in, it just enraged over this. They were, they were very passionate people. And so when the Church of England was Protestant, they had to develop a statement of faith. And that's where they, we have the Westminster uh, Statement of Faith and the Catechism, which is a huge document. And it's in that document that 120 Puritans sat on the board that spoke it there. And in chapter 21, verses 7 and 8 of that document, you can read that sometime, the words are in there that the Sunday, the Christian Sunday, the Lord's Day, is a Sabbath. And all work, all leisure, and all thought is to be dedicated from morning until night unto the Lord. That was Anglican law, Puritan law. So who was mainly involved in the establishment of the American colonies? What religious group? The Puritans. The Massachusetts Bay Colony came over. They formed, uh, you know, they, this was the new world. This was going to be the new kingdom. This was an eschatological thing that Christ was going to come back and America was going to be the kingdom. And they formed things like the Sunday laws or more commonly known as the blue laws where, you know, things like no commerce being done on Sundays. There's still laws today. There are some places if how many of you go to Meyer on Sunday and when you're walking down the aisle, have you ever seen those signs that say we don't sell alcohol or liquor on Sunday? That, that, that's from our Puritan heritage. That's a blue law. It says we, we want to honor Sunday in a certain way. Okay. All of that history is really what produces some of these questions that says, is Sunday a Sabbath day? Do you see how that kind of formulated in our culture? So the th- second question I want to ask is this. What is a Christian supposed to do with the Ten Commandments? Exodus chapter 20 uh, God speaks his commandments to his people and says these are his commandments. What is a Christian supposed to do with those ten commandments? Because it seems like there's a little bit of question over that. And I want to be very, very clear. There are some misunderstandings in Christianity about the ten commandments. I want to do quickly a little bit of work on that. First of all, the ten, uh, Christianity is not just a new version of an outdated ten commandments. Like the Ten Commandments got a little dusty, got a little archaic. And you know what? Jesus comes along and he just kind of brushes it up and offers us like the law 2.0. That's not what Christianity is at all. It is not just an updated version of an old archaic law. The Ten Commandments, God's commandments for us, for, for his people in the Ten, were fine. They were perfect. What he had to say about holiness was right in Exodus chapter 20 like it is today. So Christianity is not an updated version of that. Christianity is not a transition from low standards, Ten Commandments, to high standards, Christianity. Sometimes people read the uh, Sermon on the Mount. You know where Jesus says, you have heard it was said to those of old, dot, 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 but I say to you. Jesus was not saying the Ten Commandments had a low standard of holiness but I'm raising the standard of your holiness. That's not what he was saying. In the very beginning of that text, before he began to preach, he said, unless you have a righteousness, unless you get a righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. And what he was doing 
was not raising the standard, saying the Ten Commandments had a low standard, but I've got a higher one. He was saying there's not a person in the world that is yet to meet the standard. You say, you know, you've heard don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, you've lusted in your heart, you've already done it. You've heard it said don't murder. I'm telling you, when you look at somebody and you say, it does not matter if they live or if they die. I don't care. Raka, that's what that means. You've already murdered them. What he was doing was getting back to the heart of the Ten Commandments. So do you see what I mean? That Christianity is not, well, the Ten Commandments were like a baseline of how to get in front of God, but I'm raising the standard way higher. That's not what they are. Okay. What the law really was supposed to do was this. The law of God in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, was supposed to teach us the holiness of God and what is required for us to be presentable to Him. Those Ten Commandments. It teaches us that if, we, if, if you from birth to death live those Ten Commandments perfectly, you're a person that can stand before God unashamed. And there's not one person that has been able to do that, save Jesus Christ. So it teaches us the holiness of God and what's required to stand before Him. It exposes our sin and our inability then to stand before God. That's what the, that's what the law does. In fact, Paul said, without the law, I wouldn't know what sin is. I would have no idea what sin is if I didn't have the law. And so the law teaches us what sin really is and that we do not have the ability to stand before God. And anyone who is brought under the weight of the law will say, I need a mediator to help me stand before God. That's the purpose of the law. Number three, the law brings all people, Jew and Gentile alike, under condemnation. There's still value in the law, the law of God that we ought not violate, that all people are condemned. And when all people are condemned and they feel that weight, the law does its fourth and final thing. As Paul said in Galatians 3, it leads you to Christ. It's a tutor. It's saying, you have a problem and here's where the answer is. So the law lays a weight of guilt upon you. And when that guilt is upon you and you say, I have nothing, there's nothing I can do. I have nowhere to go. I have no answer for this problem. The law says, yeah, there's an answer for you. It's in Jesus Christ, His perfection. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 8, as he concludes the treaty on the gospel there, that there's no condemnation for those who go into Christ, that are in Christ, because what you and I could not do because we were weak in our flesh, God did for us in sending Christ. What did He do? He fulfilled all ten of those perfectly. And at the cross, there's an exchange that takes place. He takes the punishment of your sin, and and he receives the punishment for your sin. But he gives you the record of perfection. He gifts that to you. And so the ten things that are in those laws that God says, keep these, you can stand before me. Jesus says, I did, and he gives them to you as perfection. So in Christ, the law of God is both upheld, it's kept, but it's also fulfilled, it's satisfied. Therefore, the keeping of the law is not a pending requirement to be saved anymore because it never could be done. But the law is where you understand who God is, His justice, His mercy, His love, but you also understand yourself, your sinful self and your need. So the simple question is this, is Sunday the Christian version of the Sabbath? And the simple answer is no, it's not. 
Let's get to a deeper answer, though. There is no written law in the Bible that says, if you're a believer in Christ, you are prohibited from any activity on the day of Sunday. There's just not a law in the Scripture for that. Because here's the deal. Christianity is not an external law just to be observed and checked off. Christianity is a birth and transformation that you undergo. That's the difference. That's why Jesus said it's a new birth, and you're transformed, you're changed. It changes you. So I want to get to the practical business of the question. I want to give you some some history and some, some teaching there, but let's get to the practical business of the question because you've heard me say that I don't believe that Sunday is a Christian Sabbath. That, that by law, you are prohibited from work, from vocation, from avocation, or from any thought other than worship. I don't believe that the Scripture teaches that. But I believe there is a practical business of the question that we need to do together um, if we're going to think about this. I believe that the, that the concern that prompted this question is good and needful for us. Instead of, though, phrasing the question in a permissive way, like, Am I allowed to uh, mow my grass on Sunday? Am I allowed to go shopping on Sunday? Am I allowed to work on Sunday? Am I allowed to enjoy leisure on Sunday? Am I allowed to watch football on Sunday? Because you know under the Puritan regulations, you, no football, none of that. Like it's not Sabbath to eat at Max and Irma's and go home and take a nap. That's not Sabbath either. It might be rest, but it's not Sabbath. Sabbath is your mind, your heart, your reflections, your meditation from morning until night upon God. That's Sabbath. Okay? So instead of phrasing the question in a permissive tone, like, am I allowed to do this? Let's phrase it in an inquisitive tone. Okay? How about this? Should I plan and book and schedule my Sunday the way I'm currently doing it right now? Should I? Will all of you ask yourself that question? Should I plan, schedule, book, and do my Sunday the way that I'm currently doing my Sunday? Should I do that? Is the way I'm doing it necessary? Some, some people have to work on Sundays by nature. You know, my wife is at work right now, and it's a, her job is an act of mercy. Like, they don't stop needing care for children that are sick on Sundays, so she works on the weekends. Sometimes that's necessary. Is it a good thing, the way that you schedule your Sundays? Is it temporary? Sometimes there's temporary setbacks. Sometimes it's permanent. Is what I'm doing on Sundays a habit that I'm forming that could become negative? Is the way I'm using my Sunday right now healthy for me? You see how some of those questions are good for us to think about? Um, if Sunday is not available to me, let's say it's out of your control. Let's say, let's say you, maybe you can get to worship in the morning or maybe in the evening, but the rest of your day is booked up. Maybe you just are so busy on Sundays. The question that I would ask you this is, are you making time to Sabbath sometime to rest to reflect, to devote yourself, to pray, to pause from thinking that you spin the whole world and that if you don't stop, if you stop, the world stops. And that's the point of Sabbath, to tell you that you don't control the whole world, that the world keeps spinning even though you stop. What, let's tie together the two principles tonight. I think we'll be able to make sense of it and then be done. 
There's two principles here. Um, not just two laws that have to be together, but two principles. There's a principle of Sabbath, and then there's a principle of the Lord's Day that we need to think about and see how they work together. First of all, the principle of Sabbath. You should trace some time throughout the Old Testament specifically, the, the times that you see Sabbath show up. Like I said in Genesis 2, the point of Sabbath there, which I don't believe is a binding ceremony from Genesis 2 forward. I believe it becomes a ceremony in, in Exodus chapter 20. Um, meaning I don't think Abraham felt like, like knew that he had to keep the Sabbath. Um, but in Exodus, or Genesis chapter 2, the Sabbath was God ceasing from his work, literally stopping the activity that he had engaged in for six days, and he stopped that activity for a period of a day. That's the principle there. In Exodus chapter 20, we see that Sabbath was a sign of covenant. God said, I want you to keep the Sabbath because I want you to remember that we have a covenant with each other, that I am your God and you are my people. So the principle of Sabbath in Exodus 20 is trust. Do you pause to remember and reflect on how much God has done for you and you're trusting God that you're relying on him? Deuteronomy 15, he tells us that, the, that we ought to reflect on our liberation. He says when he's talking about Sabbath and letting slaves rest and the land rest, he says, remember at one time you were slaves yourself? That's the point of Sabbath, to not forget that it's a message of liberation. So Sabbath has principles that you and I need to practice. We need to be people that Sabbath sometimes. Now the principle of the Lord's Day. First of all, we see that the Lord's Day, that the people of God were to come together on the first day of the week, the resurrection day, to proclaim the death as a body together. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that we are to come together and as a collective group we proclaim until the coming of our Lord that He has died for us, that He sacrificed for us. And that sacrifice unites us to Him. In fact, Paul said that the people in Corinth were growing sick and spiritually dying because they weren't doing this right. They weren't doing it together. Hebrews 10.25, you know that verse that uh, 10.20, yeah, 5, not 4, says that we ought not to forsake assembling together. And boy, that's been a verse that we've used so frequently to, to instruct people to come to church, right? We want people to come to church. So we tell them, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake. That word forsake is a military term to turn your back on, to leave behind. But if you trace the book of Hebrews all the way from chapter 1 up to chapter 10, almost every chapter has this message in it. We are so susceptible to stray away from, to drift from our confession and our confidence. Our confession is that without Christ, I'm lost. And I confess that he's my Savior and my Lord. And I own that. I believe in that. I'm sinful and I need him. That's our confession, that I can't do it without him. And our confidence is that he can do it for us. And you stay away from the body of the Lord where we are proclaiming this together long enough you will stray from your confession and your confidence that's what was happening to the Hebrew Christians they were like you know what this Christian thing is really I'm taking a lot of flack for it I'm getting beat up for it um, in the culture I'm not it's not really popular and so they started to not meet so much they started to stray away from Christianity and they, you know what they started to do Judaism was still a popular religion and what he was saying was, man, staying away from each other, you're folding yourself into the comfort of culture and missing your confession and your confidence. 
So do we need to prioritize the Lord's Day? Yes. Do we need to Sabbath? Absolutely. You see, Sabbath is necessary for your soul. Just like the body needs rest, your soul needs rest too. But more than just intermittent stopping, you see, like I said, Sabbath is not just taking a nap. Like, like for instance, if tomorrow I took eight separate one-hour naps, I, I wouldn't be able to say that, you know what, I slept for a good solid eight hours and my body got rest. In fact, that doesn't really work for you. They say that you need called REM sleep, right? Rapid eye movement, deep sleep. So does the soul. It needs deep, true rest. And that is the point that Hebrews 4 was trying to make when he said that if Joshua gave them rest, then they would not have needed it in Christ. But we have a true rest in Christ. And here's what that rest is. In our story in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was walking through the grain fields with his disciples and they plucked some heads of grain, they rubbed them together, got whatever's in grain out, you know, farmer boy here, and they ate it. And some of the Pharisees were there and they saw it. And they said, you have violated the Sabbath. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus did not say two things. Number one, he didn't say, no, he didn't. He didn't say that. He didn't defend himself and say, actually, you're wrong. We didn't at all. He didn't say that. The other thing he didn't say was, well, you guys, listen, the Sabbath, that whole idea of Sabbath was just temporary. I'm here to just get rid of it. The whole idea of, of resting was just you know, it was, it was childish. I'm here to get rid of Sabbath. No, no, he told some stories from the Old Testament about David going in and eating the showbread, the bread of presence. And then he gets down to the end. And look down in verse 8. And here's what he says. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this is incredible. I know it's kind of hard sometimes being so distant from Jesus saying this is what he really meant. But this is an incredible statement. I am the Lord of Sabbath. When they come to Jesus and say, you violated the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm actually here because I created Sabbath. And I govern Sabbath. And you will never have Sabbath until you have me. You see, in all their practice of religion, these, these Pharisees, they never rested. They never felt, I'm okay. They never felt settled. It was a constant competition of self-righteousness or a constant worry of being standing before God. They were constantly wiggling in and out of the laws, justifying themselves. They never rested in the presence of God because they had never really had Sabbath. And so what Jesus says when he comes is, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, we've got to understand that there's a deeper, truer, and better Sabbath than just stopping from my job for a certain period of time. Sabbath means to cease from your work because something's been done. Now, if you go back to Genesis 2 in your mind, when God Sabbath, when he rested from his work, something happens at the end of every time God does something, day one through day six. When God finishes his work, day one, day two, day three, all the way to day six, do you remember what God said? After he made light, after he made, um, after he made the animals, after he made all these things, what did God say? It is good. That's a word, that's a phrase in Hebrew, like if you were going to sit back from your table after taking a bite of a delicious steak or a meal that you like, and you say, I'm enjoying every bit of that. That right there is good. 
That's satisfying. And what God was doing was looking at his work and saying, the work that has been done is good. It is able to be enjoyed and there's pleasure in it. And when he finally, when he made us, what did he say? It is very good. And at the conclusion of God, looking at all of creation, he says, this is good. Then he rested. Well, how does that play for us with Sabbath and Jesus? For about six hours on a cross on a certain Friday, Jesus hung there. There was darkness over the earth. There was sin that was being punished. And all of a sudden, at the end of it, right before Jesus died, he said, it is finished. It's done. And as long as you and I stay outside of Christ, churning within us a desire to make ourselves right with God, we'll never have Sabbath. But for those, like Hebrews 4 says, that enter into the land, enter into Christ, like Joshua led the people into the land, it's those people that finally enter into Christ and say what he did on the cross was good enough. It's those people that rest. And you and I need to practice a Sabbath that reminds us of the gospel perpetually, constantly. And I think there's great, beautiful wisdom. And people have said, hey, you know what, on Sunday, I think when you gather together with the saints in the morning and you hear from the word of God and you sing to remind yourself of the truth of the gospel, proclaim to God who he really is, and when you take the bread and you drink the cup and you proclaim his death and you learn about the bread of his body and the blood you ought to Sabbath that day. You ought to rest. You ought to preach the gospel to yourself. You ought to get into scripture and contemplate the truth of that. You ought to take some time with your family and carve out some space and think and reflect and rest. Yes, for your body and yes, for your soul. And if you'll do that on a weekly basis where you remind yourself that what Jesus did at the cross was enough that I don't have to hustle anymore to make myself right with God. You'll start to rest and enjoy that. You see, our separation from God made us restless. Isaiah 57, John, I don't know if you talked about verse 20, where he says the wicked are like a raging sea. In them is no peace at all. That's what it's like to be separated from God, restless. And when you finally return to God through Jesus Christ, you'll have rest. And that separation from God, that restlessness, is what drives us to overwork, to overcommit, to overdo, to overpromise, to overprotect, or to underwork, undercommit, and underdo, to not be engaged. And when you finally look at the work of Christ, his righteousness and his sacrifice, and you say, what he did is good, you'll rest. And you and I need to do that. Sabbath is not an objective external word, a law that I can make you stop doing things. It won't press people to have a slower Sunday. It won't do it. But the true Sabbath is a truth and internal, an internal word like the seed, the word of God that must be planted, learned about, reflected upon, honestly considered and humbly submitted to. And when you do that, it produces in us a satisfied, restful person that on Sunday, most likely will stop overcommitting themselves and start resting in the joy of being in the presence of God. That's Sabbath. That's the Lord's Day. And the church could really use a revival on bringing those two beautiful principles back together, not just as law, but as liberty in Christ to really Sabbath, to really rest.
If you're restless in some way, boy, I'd love to tell you more about the Sabbath. We're here. You can come as we stand and sing.